What's happening, world? I'm your host, the Wizard of Waz, Benji Wozniak, and this week's episode is going to consist of uh, topics about the controversy surrounding the national anthem, 9-11, and concentration camps in America. So, unless you've lived under a rock, you probably already know that Colin Kaepernick and many other sports figures are kneeling during the national anthem, that it's racist, and they don't want to do that because it re- how it represents the black uh, community. The thing is, they've never gotten into real details about why it's racist and what caused them to do this. They just said, this is racist, and this is how we're going to do it. So I'm going to set some facts on this and back it up with history. So Francis Scott Keyes wrote the Star Spangled Banner, which became our national anthem in 1814, as he was being held prisoner on a British ship watching them attack Fort McHenry in Baltimore. Now, the controversy surrounding this song starts from the second half of the third verse, which ends like this. No refuse could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the Star Spangled Banner in triumph doth wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. So here's the thing. The British offered any slave who ran away and came and fought on the side of the British the promise of freedom. The colonial marines were made up of mercenaries and these slaves, and they fought against the colonials. That controversial verse is actually talking about those colonial marines. As Francis Scott Keyes was watching the attack on Fort McHenry, the allies of the British were part of that, which was the colonial marines. So he's referring to them. Now, after the war, did ask for the return of these slaves. Great Britain utterly refused and relocated them to Trinidad and Tobago, where they now are known as the Americans. Here's a fun fact many people probably don't even know. The Star Spangled Banner wasn't even our national anthem for almost a century after it had been written, due to the fact that it had racial overtones and had had lyrics taken out because of its uh, implications against our allies now, Britain. Since we took into consideration how the lyrics of the Star Spangled Banner would affect our friendship with Britain, it's only fair that we take into consideration how these lyrics could affect actual Americans who had slave uh, ancestors and how it could affect them. If that alone is not a good enough reason, then we should take into consideration the Star Spangled Banner's right. Francis Scott Keyes, being an open racist. He descended from a wealthy plantation family and enslaved people. He spoke of the black people as a distinct and inferior race and supported the emancipation of the slaves only if they were immediately shipped to Africa. Now, during Andrew Jackson's administration, Keyes served as the district attorney for the Washington, D.C. area, where he spent much of his time shoring up enslavers' powers and strictly enforcing slave laws. His brother-in-law, the Chief Justice of the United States at that time, Roger B. Taney, is infamous for writing the Dred Scott decision that declared black people had no rights which the white man was bound to respect. In 1835, a black slave named Arthur Bowen got drunk one night and seemed to be contemplating murder. He came home late that evening and entered the widowed Mrs. Anna Thornton's bedroom carrying an axe. Maria Bowen, Arthur's mother, was also asleep in the room. She awoke and quickly restrained her son, pushing him out the house to the back door. Mrs. Thornton awoke as well, and needless to say was terrified. She ran for help from the neighbors, who returned with her to the house and heard through the back door the rantings of the inebriated young slave. I'll have my freedom, Arthur shouted. I'll have my freedom. You hear me? I will have my freedom. I have as much rights to freedom as you do. Those were dangerous words for a slave in Washington, D.C. in 1830. Francis Scott Keyes was the prosecuting attorney against Arthur Bowen and used those words against him to harshly prosecute Bowen and inflame racial tensions, which resulted in the Snow Riot, a lynch mob attack on free blacks in the city by whites. The Snow Riot wreaked havoc on anything affiliated with free blacks for days, destroying and damaging many of their establishments. The name of the riot comes from one of the first destinations the mob attacked, the restaurant owned by a free black man, Beverly Snow's Epicurean Eating House. After attacking the restaurant, the mob destroyed the school Arthur Bowen went to because he was suspected of being taught the abolition of slavery there. The larger context of the attack of the school was the white working class men's frustration over free blacks' ability to work and their resentment of black competition for jobs. The clear 
likely result was the unleashing of white terror against blacks. The Snow Riot began on August 12, 1835 and continued for days in the nation's capital, and it was not until President Andrew Jackson sent in the military that it ended. Taking that all into consideration, I do personally feel that a new national anthem is needed. Do I feel multiple national anthems should be done? No, absolutely not. That is asinine and counterproductive. We don't need a white national anthem, a black national anthem, a Latino, an Asian, Muslim, etc. That isn't a united country. That's encouraging us to be separate and causes inner turmoil as a country. So yes, we need to have a national anthem that represents all Americans as a whole. It's like the old saying goes, united we stand, divided we fall. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the term Pax Romana. What it refers to is the fall of the Roman Empire. After Rome conquered all these countries, they took the people from those countries and put them into servitude to the Romans in various stations, such as soldiers, cooks, librarians, etc. So basically, the Romans at the end of their glory were doing nothing but enjoying the fruits of the labors of the other people they conquered. So when Rome was attacked, they really didn't defend Rome because they had no reason to defend Rome. There was no loyalty to Rome or its people. America isn't exactly the same, but we are facing Pax Americana. And what I mean is we are encouraging and causing people to be divided. I've heard many people say if war came to America, they'd leave. They have no desire to fight for this country. But in this country, we have the freedoms that other countries don't grant. To preserve the American way of life, we as a whole need to find a way to put aside our differences and build a better, stronger America. So again, I, I feel that the national anthem needs to be redone and represent all the people as a whole. However, I do not feel that removing verses and statues of our past should be done. Banning and editing is a sad attempt at hiding history. If we try and deny what happened, it is silly and dishonest to people who live during those time periods and suffered the prejudice shown or written about, we 100% should let the youth see and read these awful things done and wrong representations of the black culture so that they can truly understand what the people suffered during that time period. To hide the way will only lead to other atrocities to be hidden away. Only through education and knowledge are we able to guarantee that history won't repeat itself. And when I say repeat itself, I mean the awful treatment of someone because of their skin color, religious belief, or sexual orientation. There's been many cases in American history where people of ethnic culture were thrown into concentration camps. The first large-scale confinement of a specific ethnic group in detention centers began in the summer of 1838, when President Martin Van Buren ordered the U.S. Army to enforce the Treaty of New Ashoda, a Native American removal treaty, by rounding up the Cherokee in the prison camps before relocating them called immigration depots. The three main ones were located at Ross Landing, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Fort Payne, Alabama, and Fort Cass, Charleston, Tennessee. Fort Cass was the largest, with over 4,800 Cherokee prisoners held over the summer of 1838. Many died in these camps due to disease, which spread rapidly because of the close quarters and bad sanitary conditions. The Dakota Indian War of 1862 resulted in the loss of life, fear, suffering, hardship for early Minnesota citizens, while disproportionately harming the Dakota and other indigenous people who found themselves on the other side of the conflict. Much like the concurrent Civil War, former Minnesota Governor Alexander Ramsey decreed on September 9, 1862, that the Sioux Indians of Minnesota must be exterminated or driven forever beyond the borders of the state, leading to the forced removal and banishment of the indigenous people who would surrender. The government also sanctioned bounties that would be awarded for scalps of any fleeing or resisting indigenous person. On December 26, 1862, 38 Dakota warriors, including Weeshonk Wash Tadonki, often called Chaska, who was pardoned, were hanged with the label of murderers and rapists of civilians rather than war criminals. In the largest mass execution in United States history at the order of President Abraham Lincoln, with the remaining 361 prisoners being sent to segregated prison camps in other states just days before the Emancipation Proclamation was issued. During the winter of 1862-63, 
more than 1,600 Dakota non-combatants, including women, children, and elderly, as well as mixed-blood families and Christian and former Dakota who opposed the war, were forced marched to a fenced concentration camp near the base of Fort Snelling, which was built on the Dakota sacred area called Bote, where the Mississippi River and Minnesota Rivers meet. Living conditions and sanitation were poor, and infectious diseases such as measles struck the camp, killing between an estimated 100 and 300 Dakota. Here, the women were separated from the men before being exiled to reservations in neighboring states and Canada. These reservations tended to disregard Native American culture and traditions, and their children were placed in boarding schools which forced on European-based culture and religions. By 1862, the Scorched Earth tactics employed by General James Henry Carlton and his subordinate Colonel Kit Carson against the Navajo had pushed many to the brink of starvation. Carlton then ordered some 10,000 Navajo on a 300-mile forced march known as the Long Walk of 1864 from their homeland in the Four Corners region to the area of Bosque Redondo in the New Mexico Territory where they remained an intern for the next four years. Conditions in the camp proved deplorable, and many died from starvation and disease, until by December 1865, their numbers had been reduced to around 6,000. The Navajo were allowed to return home in 1868 with the signing of the Treaty of Bosque Redondo, after negotiations with William Tishmus Sherman and Samuel F. Tappan of the Indian Peace Commission. We're going to move forward a little bit. Uh, at the height of the First World War, many of the German descendants became the target of two regulations passed by President Woodrow Wilson. Two of the four main World War one era internment camps were located in Hot Springs, North Carolina and Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia. Attorney General A. Mitchell Palmer wrote that all alien interned by the government are regarded as enemies and their property is treated accordingly. During World War II, in reaction to the bombing of Pearl Harbor by the Japanese in 1941, United States President Franklin Delano Roosevelt issued Executive Order 9066 on February 19, 1942, which allowed military commanders to designate areas in which any or all persons may be excluded. Under this order, all Japanese and Americans of Japanese ancestry removed from western coastal regions, concentration camps in Arkansas, California, Oregon, Washington, Wyoming, Colorado, Arizona, Utah, and Idaho. German and Italian citizens, permanent residents, and American citizens of all those respective ancestries and American citizen family members were removed from, among other places, the western and eastern coasts and relocated or interned in roughly one-third of the U.S. was declared an exclusionary zone. Oklahoma housed German and Italian POWs at Fort Reno, located near El, El Reno, and Camp Gruder near Braggs, Oklahoma. Almost 120,000 Japanese Americans Americans and resident Japanese aliens would eventually be removed from their homes and relocated. About 2,200 Japanese living in South America, mostly in Peru, were transported to the United States and placed in internment camps. Approximately 5,000 Germans living in several Latin American republics were also removed and transported to the United States and placed in internment camps. In addition, at least 10,905 German Americans were held in more than 50 internment sites throughout the United States and Hawaii. Alaska natives living on the Aleutian Islands were also interned during the war. Here's a little known fact people don't know. Per the Emergency Detention Act, Title II of the McCarran Internal Security Act of 1950. Six concentration camps were constructed in 1952, with the expectations that they would be needed to be used to detain political dissidents in the event that the U.S. was forced to declare a state of emergency. They were originally intended to hold alleged communists, anti-war activists, civil rights militants, and other dissidents. They were maintained from the 1950s to 1960s, but they were never used. In May 2018, the administration under President Donald Trump initiated a zero-tolerance policy, mandating the criminal prosecution of all adults who were referred 
referred by immigration authorities for violating immigrant laws. This policy directly led to large-scale forcible separation of children and parents arriving at the United States-Mexican border, including those seeking asylum from violence in their home countries. Parents were arrested and put in criminal detention, while the children were taken away, classified as unaccompanied alien minors to be put into children immigration detention centers. Though in 2018, Trump signed an executive order ostensibly ending the family separation component of his administration migration detention. It continued under alternative justifications into 2019. By the end of 2018, the number of children being held had swelled to a high of nearly 15,000, which by August 2019 had been reduced to less than 9,000. So every one of those nationalities dealt with racial discrimination years after those camps had ended. Uh, George Takai, uh, Sulu from Star Trek, actually was in a Japanese concentration camp, and uh, he talks about it in his uh, autobiography, which is a very interesting read if you get a chance to read it. So me personally, I'm not pro-Trump, I'm not pro-Biden, I'm actually pro-America. So over the last couple of years, there's been a definite discrimination against people of Latino origin. Uh, basically, everybody thinks that any Latino that they see is an illegal immigrant trying to steal their jobs and commit criminal acts, and that's just ridiculous. Recently, as a few days ago, a co-worker who is from Colombia, his family immigrated here years ago, he goes to college and works hard, and he's actually going to start a podcast. I had something put on his car. It's a piece of paper that says, Trump 2024, vote red, fuck immigrants, and it has a wall. That is disgusting. That is absolutely so uncalled for, and I don't even know as an American what to say about that. Unless you have Native American bloodlines, we're all immigrants. Our ancestors came from other countries to be here. It just goes to show you how people are so ignorant of American history and their own history that they don't realize that. I'd like to talk a little bit about 9-11. So uh, many of you weren't alive when this happened. I was. I worked two jobs. I've worked two jobs almost my whole entire life. Um, so on 9-11, I had just woken up and the first tower had already been attacked. Um, I asked why I wasn't woken up and they said, you know, you have to go to work soon. And as they said that, I looked and then the second tower got hit. Um, I lived in Vero Beach, Florida. And um, I didn't know what to do. I called and they said, as far as they were concerned, everybody was still coming to work. And um, if anything happened after that, they'd send us home. So I was driving to work and the CIA had stopped us because Piper Airlines is located in Vero Beach, Florida. And that's where the terrorists actually trained to fly a plane. It was truly terrifying because you didn't know what was going to happen, if we were going to go war or what was the next step that was going to happen? Was it going to be an invasion of America? But it was even worse for the Muslim community. After 9-11, American Muslims were literally in fear of their lives. People were dragging them out of cars and beating them almost half to death. And it was just a scary time. They were wearing shirts that said, I love America. And I hear all these people saying it brought America closer. It truly didn't. It separated us from the Muslim community. And till, to this day, we still have people that resent Muslims for what happened on 9-11. Ironically, none of the terrorists came from any country that was on the terrorist watch list or banned tra travel. 15 of them were citizens from Saudi Arabia, two from the United Arab Emirates, and one was from Lebanon and one was from Egypt. All of those were allies of America. The country had such a Muslim fear that it actually considered putting concentration camps in so they put the Muslim community. And thankfully, cooler heads prevailed and that did not happen. Unfortunately, after all these years, the Muslim community is still treated as someone that they cannot be trusted. America used to be called the Great American Melting Pot. And on the Statue of Liberty, uh, the New Colossus, this poem was written. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea, washed sunset gates shall stand. 
a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command, the air bridged harbor, the twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she. With silent lips, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuge of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempered tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Your family sought this, these families seek this, all families seek this. And if we could just realize this and understand that Americans that are here, we have a privilege and an honor. We need to share that with people that are seeking this because freedom is something that we can only give in America. Don't fear the ones trying to get in here to seek this freedom. Fear the ones that aren't trying to get in here to seek this freedom because those are the ones that want to harm us. So I hope this podcast sheds some light on some stuff. And I want to end it on some good information. Um, recently, they had the Salem Food Truck Festival in Salem, Massachusetts. And uh, the Latin Soul Kitchen Food Truck was there. I actually met the driver, uh, the owner. And he also owns Butter Your Biscuit in Beverly, Mass. Uh, his cheesy bird sandwich was the Phantom Gourmet's topic in this region. Also, he told me to try the chicken and waffle sandwich. So if you get a chance, go to Beverly and try them out. I also highly recommend Ellie's Farmhouse in Methuen, Mass. If you like a good breakfast, they make an incredible banana bread French toast, and uh, they have a cinnamon syrup that goes on it. It's absolutely delicious, so please give that a try. And I'd like to share a few of these Buddhist sayings with you that are very inspirational. We start to slacken the minute we find excuses for ourselves. To shoulder a burden is an inspiring force. To admit a mistake is a noble virtue. It is easy to reflect on major mistakes and hard to eliminate small bad habits. Repentance purifies the mind. A pure mind can readily sweep away afflictions. The hardest thing for people to see is themselves. Nothing is impossible with confidence perseverance and courage and finally me and my friend Azira Wonder shared a poem together and I'm going to share it with you I sit with many at the table of the creator the servings all seem different but what he's serving us is actually the same souls were fed with mouthwash body disabled in bone wrecks but the billet of angels now is the erect angles dispensing grace to the brim no north no south neither east or west how lucky for his true disciples do not all teachings come from the one is it not folly to look down on another's belief when is what the creator asks of all of us to believe are we not the ones to teach the seekers the word like the prophets of old was not the written word first taught by the word of mouth faith has no eyes but she cannot speak how dare we believe empty-handed five dead scrolls and verses will sprout alive christ came to fill empty barrels the apostles each was to perfect morals very few exalted teachers remain yet all glittering who do we believe we call the righteous sinners and the sinners righteous the fools drip poison from their tongues and many consume it like honey rather than dipping their bread into the knowledge of scripture and ending their true hunger how are we the flock of the creator when we are so easily lured away by wolves when the lord is not our shepherd thank you so much for listening and i hope this was informative and i, I ask you to please tune in next time to find out what's happening <laughs>